0: A young man's possession case leads to a movie that would forever change Hollywood history, as well as a doll that moves on its own and harms people who make him angry, even from thousands of miles away. This evening, we are sinking into the real-life stories behind the iconic horror movies, The Exorcist, and Child Plays, Real Life Chucky. So, sit for a spell as we slip into something spooky. Spooky. You're listening to GASP, Ghost Adventures and Spooky Phenomenon. I'm your spooky spooky, and ghost is hostess, Sookie Sookson. This episode, we dive back into some of the classic horror movies that have stayed with us for the decades that are actually based on true stories and mysterious cases. So, let's sink right in. The first book I have for you today is a story that would be the influence for a movie series that changed the world with its debuting and has been heinously harming its creators ever since. We're talking about Roland Doe and his exorcism, which would lead to The Exorcist. When researching this story, I found it pretty hard to nail down certain details and figures. There seems to be many accounts and opinions of what happened and why. Details like the age of the boy, the nickname given, even his actual identity seem to be split hairs. It's all so... peculiar. This one particular exposé I was reading started with this quote, and at first I was like, what? But as I was digging, it's actually quite perfect. Here it is. The spirit of the story is always the same, but the specifics are all over the place. This is Amy Garland from the Universitas Magazine. John Wade, the archivist from St. Louis Louis University for the past half century was actually there to record it and says there's many variations of the story. In 1949, a young boy would shock the nation as an exorcism would be performed on him due to an apparent demonic possession. For over 70 years, he would only be known under the anonymous pseudonym Roland Dole, given to him by the priest for his own safety and privacy. We now know his name is Ronald Edwin Hunkeller. As he just passed away in the past few years, rest in peace, um, it, his name was released to the public. It would be this case study that would produce a wildly popular book that would bloom an entire movie franchise that is still producing remakes remakes to this day. We're talking about The Boy Behind the Exorcist. In 1935 Ronald Hunkeler was born in Germany but moved to Maryland when he was a young boy. Around that he was playing with his aunts when she introduced him to a Ouija board. As she was a spiritualist herself at the time, this was rather natural for the two. Roland had initially expressed interest and he was particularly close to his aunt as he was a only kid in his family. After she died, Ronald was just devastated and that's when things started to get a little bit spooky around their house. It started January 15th with odd noises that they couldn't trace. Then the parents noticed objects like vases or books would levitate and knock off the shelves when Ronald would be near. They began hearing scratching noises behind their walls and beneath their floors. The sound of water dripping but they couldn't find the source. Then, Ronald's mattress would slide and lift and shake all on its own. At first, they thought the activity was just his late aunt haunting them as they had such a deep bond and were particularly religious in that aspect. However, around February 26, it began to pick up and become much more aggressive. When deep scratches began to show up on Ronald's skin, the family became worried of course. They reached out to physicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, and their own pastor from church, but nothing helped or made any sense. When it started to get worse, and full words were showing up in marks and scratches on his body, they realized this was something much darker. We're talking like it almost was kind of like a burn mark to be symbols and words, just creepy stuff. Luckily, their local pastor from their church who had also, who also had an interest in the paranormal recommended a Catholic priest to help. So they go to this priest named Father E. Albert Hughes, who at first merely gave them a Bible and a bottle of holy water and wished them well. When this made things much worse, he reached out to the Archbishop of Washington DC, asking for permission and resources and some support to perform an exorcism on the boy. Unfortunately, this exorcism would go unfinished as while he was doing it, Ronald was possessed and he had somehow broken out of his restraints, ripped into his mattress, ripped a spring out lurched forward and, using that spring, had slashed open Father Hughes's arm from shoulder to wrist. In danger of bleeding out, they were forced to end without finishing the rites. This was around the end of February to the beginning of March. After. after this, Ronald's mother thought they should change location, that perhaps there was a more right or sacred place that could provide some power and support, or maybe it was just the house. That night, along with several mysterious scratches, the actual words "Louis" suddenly emerged from underneath his skin across his ribcage. So they took this as validation and took him to St. Louis where they stayed with a relative who actually attended St. Louis University on March 3rd. Now, before I keep going, I think it's important to mention that St. Louis University is a predominantly Catholic university. Um, It's an insanely old school and mainly Catholic. And just, this is kinda, this is their vibe. Like, I get the vibe of um you know the vatican so anyways getting back to it saint louis university is where they would find these priests who would work the exorcism because they were also professors there at the time so the relative they were staying with let's call him jan because that's another detail that i guess has slipped times records anyways she starts to bear witness to these strange scratching noises, furniture moving on its own, scratches on his body, and branding, which is what they called it when you they would see marks and words raise up on the boy's skin, kind of like a burn, like someone had like branded him with, you know, a cast iron and these this symbol or this word. So, Jan, the relative, she sees all this and she asks her professor for help that professor ends up to be Father Bishop, who would later assist in the exorcisms. He then asked his friend for help, William Bowden, and then they went to the Archbishop of St. Louis, Joseph Ritter. On March 9th, my birthday, these men all come to the home of Ronald and witness all the claims themselves, the scratches, branding, beds moving, strange noises, So then all these guys decide to meet and discuss the case, decide if they're going to move forward and perform an exorcism, or if this is not checking those boxes, I guess. So, they finally decide that they will go forward and perform an exorcism according to the Roman ritual rites, which is like a very old, um, I I don't know if it's the oldest, but I know it's a very old ritual for exorcisms. William Bowden is chosen to lead it at first, and he apparently didn't know too much about it, so he hit the books. Now, you're probably wondering why someone with little knowledge and experience would be chosen to lead such a dangerous and serious ritual. Well, it was because Bowden was a World War II veteran and had been known for being a deeply faithful yet tough person. And they all just mutually agreed he felt right for the job. Later, Father Halloran would join him, serving us that iconic scene of a priest stepping out of a cab on a stormy night in front of a house filled with demonic screams except instead of one storming night it was about 33 nights give or take a night or two the exorcism began march 16th at 10 15 pm and it went on until april 18th just after easter sunday it seemed to be that ronald was completely fine and behaving behaving normally during the day and then also at supper time everything was fine but once he had put his pajamas on something would shift his entire demeanor he would laugh maniacally speech speak in a much deeper tone speak vulgarly and cruelly to his parents and the priest he would also spit on them and urinate them purposely he would also apparently sing all the words in an unrecognizable voice to songs he had apparently never known before the songs were blue danube Old Man River and Old Rugged Cross. Now, the song's kind of throw me and almost make me think maybe he was possessed by a spirit of someone that i been living and not a demon per se. Um, I say this just because Blue to New Bay is like this very well-known classical composition by Johann Strauss II. Um, it's bubbly and delightful. Um, just, I don't get demon vibes from it. <clears throat> but maybe I'd be there. I don't know. Like, maybe he was, like, singing it in a creepy way. Wouldn't let me know. And then, like, Old Man River is a song about Black Americans' hardship during slavery in Mississippi. Like, so I get, I get that it's, like, a, a darker song. But then Old Rugged Cross, I mean, personally, I think the lyrics actually are pretty creepy if you listen to it, but... It, I don't that part checks out, but it's technically, it's a tender Christian song about faith and the cross's symbolism. I don't know, perhaps it's a mocking nature. I guess we'll just really never know, but that detail kind of threw me. So, during this, Pranel begins to become much worse. He starts having seizures, and the branding started appearing instantly all over his body. Uh, all this would go on all night long for hours and eventually the entity would begin to fade and Ronald would kind of just fall asleep and when he woke during the day he never remembered the night before or anything that would occur during these exorcisms and he was completely fine in himself he would be moved several times and the exorcisms occurred in many different places um because this was kind of a conundrum for the priest as well. So it wasn't like super typical exorcist behavior, but then during the night it very much was. So I think everyone was really um, just mixed up on this. First, he stayed in his relative's home in St. Louis uh, where he was living at the time. Then he was moved to Alexian Brothers Hospital, then back home. Then the bishop had it arranged for him to stay at the, Colorado, the College Church Rectory at St. Louis. He um, did some exorcisms there, and it just it seemed to get worse before it really got better. Um, like, they, they tried baptizing him at this Colorado Church Rectory, and apparently that night he broke Father Hallowen's nose during a session and just seemed like it was a, a peak of his worseness if that's, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. Um, and ironically, all of this happening on April 1st. So this is all happening, like, very quickly, relatively, but also I'm sure in their eyes very painfully slowly. Um, but Ronald ends up moving back to Washington, D.C. with a few bishops April 4th, but then he ends up returning April 9th to St. Louis, where he heads straight for Alexian Hospital, and He stays there until his final rites are performed the day after Easter Sunday. After this, he's completely fine and normal for his usual self and has not had any more problems since. He ends up living a super normal life, after which I'm sure feels so surprising. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of poor that end up not surviving exorcisms. They can be so insanely dangerous. That's why they are so controversial. And it's just such a complicated subject, if you ask me. So this is amazing. This is a miracle. It's beautiful. Chef's kiss. But another oddity, if you will. Um, but he... I mean, from there, I, I can't tell you too much because... Father Halloween actually insisted on muting many details. He he goes forward with Washington Post to give an expose on the whole case, but he gives no names. He you know gives pseudonyms when needed to protect the family's privacy and of course their newfound peace. I get that, um, but yeah, that's why I wasn't able to tell you his parents' name, his aunt's name when she died. I mean, his relative at the university. His own true name. There's even a, another name that some people throw out. Uh, it's it's just interesting. Another piece of the puzzle it really makes the whole story intriguing, you know. Um, but the the bishops when asked stayed true to protecting that, and one even noted that he wanted to reach out and check on Ronald, but he just knew it was best if he didn't. He assured journalists though that he kept an eye on him in his own way saying that if he was no longer living he would know about it um so that's sweet I guess Kinda love you know Bishop's looking out for a poor young man I'm glad he's doing good it sounds like he was able to live a completely beautiful normal life after and at least we hope so we don't know without the record but I like to think so. Up next, I'm going to talk about The Exorcist. So, this article that Father Halloran, Halloran sorry, interviewed on, this would be August of that same year and it would be this very article that would inspire the author william peter Blatty to spin a spook to spin a spooky based off of this nightmare experience he would affectionately name the book the exorcist in 1971 nearly 20 years later this book would then be turned into a movie that much more closely reflected the book rather than the true experience Now, we're going to talk about those differences here. In the book, and the movie, we see an 11-year-old girl played by a 13-year-old girl. So that is kind of a funny detail everybody disagrees on. Coincidence. Similarity. She's named Regan, whose mother is a famous actress named Chris. Now, while Chris is working on a new movie, they move to Washington, D.C. Same location. Now, it's a new town, and they move into this strange old home, where Regan finds and plays with a Ouija board, where she meets a spirit pretending to be a friendly man named Captain Howdy. Pretty soon, Captain Howdy is the apparent cause behind some very strange disturbances around the house, like furniture being moved and strange noises. Then Reagan begins beca- to become moody, distant, and aggressive, as well as getting physically unwell. A friend of her mother comes over and Reagan throws his body out of a window and down some stairs. Police are absolutely baffled how an 11 year old could be the only one home or responsible for such a brutal and difficult feat. It's after this that Chris is able to get help from a local Catholic priest to become involved and invite another more experienced professional, a Father Halloran type to show up in the middle of the night. The exorcism lasts all night until the final rites are performed, saving little Reagan, but not before projectile vomiting, split pea pea soup, and infamously spinning her head 360 degrees around, while restrained and strapped to a bed. There's some obvious differences, of course. Instead of a young, 11-12 year old girl, it was a 13-14 year old boy but the fact that the age is kind of a different opinion is funny. Also, instead of a free-spirited actress, Ronald's parents were not terribly wealthy and were very religious. The setting though, some names are different, numbers were different, but similar details are interesting. The parents worried over their child who might be possessed by the devil. Well, who wouldn't be terrified by that? the Ouija board, the priest making a house call in the middle of the night. Well, that's just good storytelling. And sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Thank God. Or perhaps not. Yeah? No. Well, you know what? He survived. So yeah. Now, some interesting facts about the movie that are kind of all tied together when you look at it is that first of all they surpassed their original budget by three times at 12 million dollars but ended up making over 441 million dollars in box office also the movie was released in theaters not all theaters because some places did not want it in catholic places like uh boston Not a ton of places, but some places would not release it. It was released December 26th, 1973, the day after Christmas, which just feels weird if you ask me. Also, what's weird is Ouija board sales actually went up after its release. Remember our Ouija board episode, how they had multiple uh, moments, if you will? Well, this was one of the biggest Another really interesting fact is that because the director desired a cold set for the exorcism scene in Regan's bedroom, he wanted to actually see the actor's breath in the film. So they had a refrigerator kind of cooling that set and a man running the refrigerator. They tried to keep it cold, I believe 40 degrees minimum um but because of all the studio lights they could only keep it cold for about 3 minutes at a time so to shoot the entire exorcism bedroom scene took an entire month about 33 days the same amount of time that the that the real life exorcism took place which is very fucking creepy if you ask me too coincidental now, this movie changed Hollywood horror films as well as the entire genre. This is one of the very first times we see something not supposed to be scary become downright terrifying. Children, more specifically, a little girl. Well, now it's a classic genre all its own. During this time, there is a lot of social tension. There is civil unrest, racism, the Vietnam War, Watergate scandal. There's a lot of crime and violence, the Manson family murders, many serial killers and cults surrounding this time. The music industry was taking on this rebellion into the cult bands like Black Sabbath and people were genuinely scared that their kids were signing the devil's book. So the timing of this movie, let's just say it was fucking immaculate. People were popped off by it. Not just in popularity, but genuine fear but not even that. This movie came with its own victim list. Now, the reason for the Christmas time release, as well as the budget that ran three times over, was all due to bizarre happenings and accidents that kept running production back and kept delaying the film from its original desired release date. Like the demon statue of Pazuzu, which is used in the beginning of the movie was somehow shipped to Hong Kong instead of Iraq, which delayed them two weeks. Production was delayed six weeks due to a bird flying into a circuit breaker of the house, causing a freak fire that burned down the entire set, except Reagan's room, where the exorcism scene would take place. Ugh, too coincidental, I'm saying. Now, during production, on set, the actresses who played Chris and Reagan both suffered serious back injuries that induced lifelong conditions. Linda Blair, who played Reagan, who was 13 at the time, was not properly strapped into her restraints and harnesses in the rocking and levitating bed scene. When she fell hard onto the bed, she actually fractured her lower spine and because of this, developed chronic back pain and scoliosis for life. She has also developed an aversion to cold after spending so many long nights in a bedroom set to below 40 degrees at all times, while wearing a thin little nightgown and sometimes long underwear. Now, Ellen Burstyn, who played her mother, Chris, she had fractured her coccyx when she had, uh, during the scene where Reagan is masturbating using a crucifix, which side note, that just seems like too much. Like it's a scary movie. It just that part for me, and I, uh, apparently a lot of people, it just felt too long, too disturbing, just icky. Luckily, a different actress did play Reagan for that scene, as well as the scene where she festivates cross. So we have that, but. Yeah, personally, I just, I'm like, we just take that out? Anyways, getting back. When she's doing this, the mother's trying to stop her. And in return, Reagan bitch slaps her across the room and she smacks into the wall and slides down. In doing this, she genuinely broke her coccyx and had to be on crutches for like two weeks after this. Or sorry, no, she was like bedridden and then on crutches. So this, of course, delighted delayed shooting much more Uh, to make it creepier the actual scene takes where both of these actresses were seriously injured those are the ones that are currently used in the movie so those reactions of pain and anguish you see yeah those are real genuine reactions ugh it just makes it so much fucking scarier But, but like in a bad way Anyways, getting back. I'm just saying, The Exorcist is like low key a smut film. Like, let's be real. Anyways, getting back. Both of these injuries also set back and made production significantly slower and much more difficult. I mean, these are people's jobs and lines also. Now, production was delayed. Uh, I, I couldn't find for how long, but at one point. There was somebody that had a carpenter when they were trying to rebuild sets. He cut off his own thumb, like all the way off. Like he didn't just like cut himself deep. Oh man, you need stitches. This man severed his entire thumb off on accident somehow, which is just so weird and like, oh God. It makes me look at the new Exorcist movies and just like be careful everybody. Well, anyways, it's not just freaky injuries, like, there was people that died. The actor Jack McGowan, he plays the friend of Chris Burke, uh, sorry, the friend of Chris, his name is Burke Dennings, he's the one who Reagan pushes out a window and he dies, like, before the movie's over, like, pretty early in the movie, Yeah. A week after they finished shooting that, he died, before the movie finished. Freaky. The, the, again, like, coincidental. But why? And, he died from the London flu epidemic at the time, which I know it's an epidemic, so it's terrible. But, I just, I see flu and I'm like, what? How? Like that's terrifying. So sad. Anyway, so we carpenter cut off his thumb, but then there was also a technician who lost his big toe. Yeah, the entire toe, you guys. All of this during production. Now, meanwhile, the guy that was the refrigerator operator for Reagan's room, he passed away shortly after the finish of the film and uh, many other cast and crew members, they would have friends or family or their own children pass away. This was causing many people to have, have to travel back to their hometowns to deal with it, um, some during productions, and some of that happened shortly after. In total, there have been nine deaths of the cast and crew and several injuries for the entire production of the film. Which is frankly bizarre and downright spooky and just not right. Like, that is fucking odd. It's very haunted if you ask me. Uh, Some people say that they feel they become more open to experiences after watching this movie. And I I feel that. I feel like, you know, stories and movies, they can be portals. Yeah, when you speak on something, you're bringing it into existence, you know? And I think this movie has just such, like, a ritualistic amount of fear and pain and blood that has been spilt in it, that it just, I can see that. And now I just look at the new Exorcist movie, and I get chills. I don't know if I'll see it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Only in theaters. Hmm, maybe not. I don't know. I'll let you know. Anyways, up next, we're going to talk about the muse behind Chucky. E. We're going to talk about Robert the Doll. Now this movie is based on a real doll considered to be possessed, but by what no one really knows. The events in the movie, well they don't exactly match up to the ones of true life, but the similarities are still unsettling, don't worry, I got you. In the movie, Chucky influences Andy to trouble and bad behavior, but... Chucky himself was the one physically attacking people with knives, windows, and more. However, in real life, that doll that Chucky was based off of has a pattern of giving people, well, causing car accidents, illness, and massive amounts of misfortune to the people that came into improper contact with him. We're talking about Robert the Doll. But first, the killer doll movie that Robert inspired that has been remade and remade over and over again because, well, it's a classic. This is Child's Play, the original Chucky movie. In 1988, Charles Lee Ray, a fugitive serial killer, is on the chase from Detective Mike Norris through the streets of Chicago after his partner, Eddie Caputo, abandons him. He escapes and hides in a toy store where Detective Norris ultimately guns him down. As the life drains from Ray, he performs a voodoo chant for a transfer spell while his body is laid next to and touching a good guy brand talking doll. As the store he lays in itself is struck by lightning, magic happens. We cut to a struggling single mother, Karen, and her six-year-old son, Andy, that struggles to make friends. Karen is desperate to make things better for her son, Andy, and tries to find her son a goo guy doll because that's all he's talking about. And since they are all the rage, she can't seem to track one down until she finds a homeless peddler with a discounted one willing to sell her. Overjoyed with its brand new friend, Karen feels confident enough to leave Andy alone with the babysitter so she can finally have some time for herself, you know, a little shade time, you know, we love to say it. But unfortunately, the doll, who refers to himself as Chucky, throws the babysitter out of the window and out of their top floor apartment, which Is a tower-looking sort of building. Karen comes home to find police and ambulance flooding the street and her apartment where Detective Norris is called to the scene. He is questioning Andy as it would appear that Andy would have to be the culprit as the two were home alone. The door was locked inside and it was just him and the babysitter. Andy, having witnessed the attack, insists, Chucky did it. He also tells the detective Chucky said his real name was Charles Lee Ray. But an obviously disturbed and confused Norris still doesn't buy it. I would. I would buy it. Especially if I knew that name. That's a pretty big fucking coincidence. Anyway, he probably just thinks he read it in the paper. The very next day. Andy is pressured to cut school with Chucky and seek out his old partner Eddie Caputo. They go downtown by train and find Caputo's home where Chucky attacks him and sets the entire place on fire in a gas explosion. This is is what kills Eddie Caputo. Once again Norris is called to the scene and finds Andy there at the scene of the crime. Completely convinced, he sends them to a psychiatric hospital, and uh, yeah, he's just—he's convinced the six-year-old is killing people. I guess. While home alone with Chucky, Karen begins to realize the doll is moving and talking on its own. Oh, and without batteries. She tries to warn Detective Norris. He doesn't believe her, dumbass. Desperate for answers, she finds the man who sold her the discounted doll, With the, this time dragging Detective Norris along. They somehow find this peddler, and somehow Detective Norris gets him to admit that he stole the doll from the toy store while it was kind of ravaged and unattended due to the brutal crime scene. Karen figures out that the crime scene at the toy store was when Norris gunned down a Charles Lee Ray she insists to norris that chucky is possessed by the spirit of this charles lee ray and that norris is actually going to be next now that caputo is dead norris still doesn't believe her and is attacked by chucky duh idiot but luckily he shoots chucky and he causes him to bleed chucky escapes to seek out his voodoo mentor tortures him until he tells him why he's fucking bleeding <clears throat> <clears throat> but he also tells him that while he's in doll form the longer he is the more mortal he will become and that the only way to remain is to do another soul transfer with a living person but here's the catch it must be the first person who sh- he shows his identity to which is andy so leaving his mentor bloodied and dying chucky chucky leaves to find andy Meanwhile, Karen and Norris find him and he explains in order to kill Chucky they must strike him in his heart. After killing Andy's doctor using an electroshock therapy machine, Chucky chases Andy back to his home where he knocks him out and prepares him for the soul transfer ritual. Norris and Karen arrive at the house just in time to stop the ritual procession. But Chucky stabs Norris, and then, luckily, Karen and Andy save him by setting Chucky on fire. Thinking everything's good, they're all hugging, and then a singed and charred Chucky rises from the ashes to attack, but Karen blows his head and limbs off with a gun. (coughs) Thinking once again it's over, However, when Norris' partner Jack arrives on the scene, Andy, Norris, and Karen all try to explain that Chucky was alive and trying to murder them. He, of course, doesn't believe them, and till, that is, a resurrected, barely corpse of Chucky explodes from a vent to strangle Jack one last kill. Quick on his feet, Norris shoots Chucky right through the heart, finally killing Charles Lee Ray and Chucky. As they drive Norris to the hospital, little Andy stares traumatized out the back window at the remains, anxiously feeling like it wasn't really over. Cause it wasn't. Now to the doll that was the spooky muse to it all, Robert the doll. RTD, for short is considered to be one of the most famous haunted dolls and is 119 years old the origin story of that is an eccentric artist from germany named robert eugene otto otto sorry in 1904 his uh his grandmother his grandfather he buys this doll for him when he's a child and he puts the little sailor suit on it because the doll didn't actually come with that little sailor suit. But it's thought that the suit was like an old uniform that Jean wore as like a small child. And the company who actually made the doll is Stife Company, who, fun fact, made the original teddy bear design in homage to Theodore Roosevelt. It's thought that Robert the doll originally started as a window display doll, as a jester or a clown, never intended to actually be used as a toy. Which is very fitting once you hear about all the little mischief he causes. Now, after a little while of having him, Gene begins to blame some of these mishaps and accidents happening around the house on his doll, Robert. I know, it's kind of weird that he named him Robert, but he went by Gene, so it's fine. Anyways, claiming that not only would Robert do these bad things, but he would tell Gene to do bad things. And if Gene didn't do it, then Robert would do it. And that Robert's talking and Robert's moving. And at first, his parents kind of just assumed, you know, oh, it's a combination of their child's guilty conscience and imagination, but. They soon started to notice these odd occurrences even when Jean was at school and the doll was at home and they kind of started to wonder themselves. Now, Jean and his family were rather well off and they lived in this beautiful French style chateau manor with a circular three story tower, his bedroom being the uppermost window in the tower now when other children in the neighborhood began walking by his house they started to notice they would start to see robert the doll standing in one window they would look away and when they'd look back over he would disappear they'd look at each other to be like hey didn't you see that doll there and they'd look back over and the doll was standing there again they also claimed that they would see the doll run from window to window to window following them as they walked down the sidewalk naturally because of this children began to avoid crossing by jean's house completely and would just not go that way if they could help it or if they had to go that pathway they would cross to the other side of the street if they had to. Gene's family stayed in Key West, Florida, and that's where this house was, and he stayed there until he went off to study art in New York and then in Paris, where he eventually met and married his wife, Annette Parker. They would marry in Paris in 1930. Afterwards, the couple moves back to Robert's family home and lives there for the rest of their lives. Side note, they call this house the artist's house. Probably because he was an artist, but also because it's so beautiful. Please, I, I insist. Go to the, our Instagram page, check out our post on this episode. I've got pictures from uh, the exorcism, the exorcist, and as well as Robert the doll, and this beautiful house. Give it a look, see if you got a moment. It, it's just, mm. anyways, getting back. They come back and they live at this artist's home. They would actually live there for the rest of their lives. Lucky, if you ask me. Now what people remember about Robert called Gene most of his life, so I'm gonna continue to call him Gene here so we don't get mixed up. The doll we will call Robert. This is Gene. What people remember about Jean was that ever since his grandfather first gifted this doll to him, they had been extremely close and practically inseparable. It was believed that Gene actually took Robert the doll with him to school and overseas. As it was said, he brought that doll
1: everywhere he
0: went. Many people would say the relationship was rather unhealthy as they recall him talking about the doll in first person, treating it like it was just a genuine, live human being with him. Some people even recall hearing Jean talk to the doll and respond back to it as if it was talking back to him. Robert Jean Odo kept the doll with Annette until his passing in 1974, and then Annette kept the doll but passed two years later, both from natural causes. When the house was sold shortly after this to Myrtle Reuter in 1974, she Inherits Robert the doll and seamlessly becomes his new caretaker. When Myrtle had visitors, they claimed to hear footsteps, but little tiny footsteps like kids, but Myrtle didn't have any kids. There's no children living with her. They would hear these little footsteps pitter patter around upstairs in the tower, and they would hear giggling through the house like it was just in the next room or just up and down the stairs it's just disturbing if you ask me like maybe it was cute to her but i would just be freaked out by that Eh, maybe i get used to it It might be cute we'll see we'll see what happens when it happens listen to me anyways when someone badmouthed or mocked myrtle or the doll it was said that robert would change facial expressions and actually scowl at them. Again, look at the picture of Robert, and I mean, him alone. No offense, Robert, love you, man, respect. But you're creepy, baby. You're just strange looking. Give it a look-see, but it's to look at this doll and imagine it changing different facial expressions and scowling at you gives me chills. mm-mm, mm-mm, no. Myrtle herself claimed she could hear or sometimes just barely see Robert the doll move up and down the stairs or across her home from room to room. She went on to care for Robert the doll for 20 years, and when she eventually moved from the auto artist's house, she brought Robert with her to her new home. In 1994, she eventually had had enough of the antics and donated Robert to the East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida, near his original home with Jean People can now visit Robert the doll, but it's said if you are not courteous and respectful to him that he curses you. There have been many, several accounts of people speaking rude or unkind to him or taking pictures of him without asking permission first and then resulting in curses following them. People claim after mistreating Robert, they end up in car accidents or other serious accidents. They end up with broken bones, fiction notices, broken valuables, antiques, illnesses, divorce, and the list goes on, just misfortune, bad luck, and just straight up disaster. I mean, people claim to experience this myriad of mishaps and misfortune until they return to see Robert and ask for forgiveness. Only then is the curse lifted. However, if you are kind and respectful to RTD and ask permission before taking your photo, you're apparently all good. No bad luck or random broken bones. (laughs) Hmm... It's very peculiar. I I can't help but wonder who or what exactly is manifested in Robert the doll. Yeah, I would be very interested to meet him for myself. You know, uh, ask permission to maybe ask a couple of questions, you know, if that's alright with him, you know what I mean? I just... I would, I'm just so fascinated. I would love to be respectful, but maybe, you know... Robert the doll and an EVP, Robert the doll on the Ouija board, just try a couple things, maybe bring him some cookies, some tea, I don't know, I feel like you would like that. What do you guys think? Would you dare go and visit Robert the doll? If you did, would you be cruel or would you be kind? right this is a robert the doll experience or encounter if you will that i actually pulled off of reddit excuse me bong loads get the best of my throat. um it was posted by a user romsk4v two years ago here it goes Back in 2017, I was 14 when I went to Florida with my family for three weeks of beaches, pools, restaurants, and local foods, the kind of holidays I will never live again. And one evening, I was on YouTube and I was watching a video of Squeezie, my favorite videographer at the time. And in this video, he was telling the well-known story of Robert the Doll. The story begins at the turn of the last century when the African maid of the Otto family, rich Floridian aristocrats, gives the doll to their son, Robert. From the beginning, Robert falls in love with this doll and never leaves it, so much so that he changes his name for Eugene in in order for his name to have its own real name. But legends quickly circulate about this doll and it's said that the maid practiced voodoo magic and bewitched the doll to harm the family. Some of the family's guests ran out of the auto's house swearing that the doll had tried to strangle them. Eugene's parents discovered bruises and burn marks on the child, a child who amuses himself speaking casual chatter with Robert by alternating his child's voice to be the voice of the doll. Hoarse, almost superhuman, almost diabolic, in short, the Robert doll scares the whole neighborhood jesus that was me Sparing all the scary details that sit the context of my story eugene ends up dying alone with his allegedly haunted doll okay at the end of the video squeezy announces that the doll can now be seen in a museum in the united states at the end of the at the art and historical museum in key west florida Stunned by this news, I looked to see if this information was true, and god it was. I immediately told my parents, asking them if we would be passing through Key West on the trip, and of course, on the last three days, just before returning to France, we would make a diversion to Key West, so it was decided I would meet Robert the Doll on the last full day of our trip. Key West is the southernmost city in the United States. You have to take a highway bordered on both sides of the ocean, so it is an extremely isolated pre island. As a result, the local folk- folklore is extremely strong, and Robert is known to all besides to justify a mistake. The local children used to say, Robert did it. The last day came, and with excitement, my family and I set off for the museum. It was a very dilapidated and unwelcoming fort, hollowed out by the time, the wind, and the sea, with sequels eating the corpse of the siblings in the car park. Oh god, their siblings. Okay, so sequels eating their own... sequels eating sequels, I guess, yeah. We enter, and a red-headed lady in her fit- 50s is at the reception. We talk to her to find out about the museum, and Incidentally, to find out about Robert from the most qualified person, the museum guard. There, we don't joke with Robert. To take a picture of him, you have to ask him a question and wait for his answer. Some say that a bright reflection in his black eyes means a positive answer. The lady warns us that some people weakly disrespect the doll. Some people weakly disrespect the doll, and it ends up sending a letter of po- and it ends by them. sorry, I'm whipping here, apology to Robert at the museum so that he will stop the mischief. She adds that there is a video of a man hitting Robert's glass. This man died later that day in a road accident. We, oui. I, little French that I was, Naively asked if I could ask Robert, if I could ask Robert to take a picture of him. I advised in French, in a foreign language, and what did the lady reply? Try it. You'll be the first. We started the visit. My family and I were really enchanted. We were like crazy. We explored all the corners of the fort in search of Robert, apprehending all, uh, apprehending all the same. Our meeting. We pass old cannons, military costumes, old rusty weapons. ones. We turn down a hallway and on our right, there he is, Robert. The century-old doll accused of being the reason of multiple unexplained deaths in Key West. The inspiration for the Annabelle and Chucky dolls, the main subject of Squeezy's horror video. Here we are, face to face. The doll is tall, sitting on a chair and enclosed in a glass cage. Behind him, letters of apology from multiple countries, Mexico, Germany, Qatar, all written in English and imploring Robert to break the curse he has cast on them, which dissuaded us from being impolite. I take my courage in both hands and say, hello Robert, I am from France and will be delighted to take you in picture, could I? In French, a word first. A world first. I th- I'm sorry. I take a picture with him and send it to all my friends via Snapchat to show that I was the bravest, reckless, question mark, kid in my, of my generation. With my photo taken, we hurriedly finished our visit and returned to the hotel. The next day, the day of the big departure, we don't have breakfast because of the lack of time pack our bags, and climb into the car to Miami, where we'll take a plane to France in the afternoon. At 11 o'clock in the morning, we come across a Wendy's, a fast food specialized in breakfast. (laughs) Sorry, side note. I love that they're French, and I just love seeing American perspective through foreign. It's just so interesting. Anyways. Back to this, at 11 o'clock in the morning, we come across Wendy's, a fast food, specialized in breakfast, so we stop there to eat. We sit down, order, wait, receive, eat, and pay for our order. When we finished our meal, we go back to our car, and we are shocked to find it in a really abnormal state. All the windows are broken except the front one. There is glass inside our car, as much as outside, meaning that the windows exploded and were not just smashed from the outside. And more disturbing, our suitcases are intact. My headphones that were on the back of the seat are still in the same place they were when I left them. We weren't robbed at all. We weren't carjacked. We weren't stolen. The windows just exploded at that same time, as if Robert did it. so creepy I guess you cannot ask him in French that is not going to do I would have if I'm being honest not to be judgmental because we all make mistakes and honestly I'd probably make a mistake too I'd probably get cursed but if I did not speak English but I saw the apology letters were written in English I would probably just ask in English to be safe but that's me you know I'm always trying to avoid a curse if I can help it. Well, thank you. Uh, Rum, k 4 v That was spooky indeed. Well, that's my gasp for you all. I hope it tickled your goosebumps and left your brain spinning for the night. I sincerely hope you enjoyed our perverse positions episode and if you yourself have any thoughts on it or have your own haunted doll experience, I'd love to hear them. Also, if you just have your own haunted experience in general, alien encounter, cryptid creature feature, uh, really anything paranormal, strange, or unusual, anything unexplained, please send it to me can go ahead and send all of those stories to me personally. My email is Sookiesuksen at gmail.com. That is S-U-K-I-S-U-X-E-N at gmail.com. Sookiesuksen at gmail.com. I will read them on here with your permission, of course. So please send me all of your spookies. And if you liked the show, please rate and review us wherever you're listening because, well, that's how a ghoul grows. If you want to follow along, get sneak peeks on any episodes or see any pictures from episodes, I post uh follow us on Instagram at the midnight mystique that's the T H E Midnight, M I D N I G H T, and then Mystique, M Y S T I Q U E, at The Midnight Mystique. And for even more Suki Suki, you can find me on Instagram at Suki Sixon. Keep it creepy, my spooky pookies. Essentially yours, Suki Sixon.